Good evening, friends. Uh, uh, first of all, let me uh, welcome you to this wonderful episode of Ask the Expert Show, organized by AIF PMS Experts India. I, on behalf of the company, uh, welcome you all. Uh, today, we have a very interesting guest. Uh, you know, you have seen him, you have heard him, you have grown with him in the market. And uh, whenever you switch on your uh, business channels, a uh, very common face which comes to you or your screen is our today's guest. Uh, friends, you know, today it gives me an immense pleasure and a delight to welcome Mr. Nilesh Shah. Uh, you know, uh, Mr. Nilesh has been a very familiar face uh, in our business channels across the media. Well, you know, whenever it comes to capital market investing, you know, he is one of those leaders who stands out. Uh, you know, Nilesh, uh, you know, Nilesh uh, runs a company uh, called Envisions Capital and he has been into this market for last 30 years and he has held uh, senior positions assignment in the capacity of a president in blue chip organizations like Kotak Mahindra Asset Management Company Limited and he was one of the youngest uh, you know director into the board of Kotak and uh, you know having spent more than 30 years I'm sure uh, we are going to have a wonderful uh, you know sessions where he's going to take his experience he's going to take his outlook He's, he's going to discuss, you know, his ideas uh, for all of us for the next decades to come. So I don't want to, uh, you know, waste much further time. Uh, you know, let me, uh, you know, invite Mr. Nilesh Shah. So I think we have come to a situation where currently we are in an environment where we've seen a strong up move over the last two years. Uh, where markets and, of course, uh, corporate India has benefited tremendously from the tailwinds of COVID and, of course, from the tailwinds of the massive liquidity which central banks injected into the system. And obviously, of course, there were powerful forces like technology, digitalization, etc., uh, which helped businesses to cope with and deal with COVID and, of course, emerge stronger. And on the other hand, it gave an unparalleled opportunity to millions of investors across the country, especially in the interior pockets of the country, to come and participate in equity markets on the back of low interest rates and the kind of uh, the ability of corporate India to basically deal with the after effects of COVID. We've now come to a situation where the markets have rallied quite significantly from the lows of those last two years. But in addition to that, there are economic headwinds in the form of withdrawal of liquidity by the U.S. Fed, um, uh, interest rates set to go higher, inflation raising its head, input prices going up, and of course, costs of transportation, freight, logistics, all of, all of which are essentially going up. Now, what this does essentially is that we are, we are seeing a situation where cost of capital is going up. And on the other hand, the margins of businesses are already beginning to get impacted. Um, so, in this backdrop, it looks like that the, the short term is going to be choppy, it's going to be volatile, and uh, there, could, there could be essentially a, a, an environment where the markets may not go anywhere, or it probably has some bit of a downside as yet uh, in terms of essentially the, the market levels. But one very interesting thing which is coming out when I when we speak to companies, when we speak to managements, one thing which is coming out very, very strongly are two things. One, according to most of them, the input cost pressures, according to them, seem to have peaked out. So the kind of input cost pressures that they have seen during the months of March, April and May seem to essentially have peaked. It doesn't mean, of course, that those input cost pressures are off. They're still there. But it's not like kind of that the input cost pressures are only rising. Uh, they seem to have peaked and perhaps are in the process of plateauing out. That's one, which to me is very heartening. The second thing which I sense when I speak to companies and managements is that each one of them is continuously involved in essentially trying to manage these input cost pressures to drive efficiency, to drive productivity, passing on some of these cost pressures to consumers, absorbing some of it, 
making some of their uh, you know suppliers vendors in a way absorb these costs so that to me is very heartening so what does this indicate this indicates that there could continue to be pressure for maybe one or two more quarters but after that you basically will see the margins beginning to now to stabilize and probably inch up a bit keep in mind that in the past inflation has essentially been not necessarily been negative for businesses inflation if at all moderate inflation of course is not too bad it's it's in a way a good evil to have for businesses of course it's bad for consumers but it's not necessarily bad for for businesses so the way i look at it is that maybe we will continue to see a, a situation where three to six months the markets need not essentially oblige us markets need not reward us but that also creates a great opportunity essentially for us to basically buy into our chosen set of stocks businesses which think we think are great businesses but prices have become attractive and that's what i think will is happening uh, and obviously of course post that uh, i see the markets again coming back uh, with a bang with a roar uh, you know probably in in 2023 and onwards so i clearly look at this as more like kind of somewhere uh, a bit of a speed breaker in in a very long term bull market that we all are essentially getting the opportunity to participate in uh in fact that's a very interesting in fact while you are talking i already started getting whatsapp messages from my clients you know uh, you know the clients are always very excited uh, so in fact uh, just to uh, just to uh, you know uh, uh, retreat what nilesh said my you know the investors you need to you know put very strong attention to what he actually said uh, you know uh, although we might see a speed breaker for the next 3 to 6 months but post 3 to 6 months we can see a very long uh, you know long bull run which we all expects and everything so nilesh you know uh, you know we have a format of the show where uh, where we want you to give us small presentations about the product that we have because ultimately you know we are a distributions outfit and uh, you know client comes to us uh, you know trying to understand the product but before i go into the product and again you are such a you know you are such a familiar face in the market and uh, when people get to hear you uh, one of my uh, clients you know who is a very premier client for us Uh, you know, every time he says, every time we say, it's different. So he's asking, what is the different this time, and what are your, uh, you know, what are your sectoral outlook? मतलब if today somebody has to take a long term positions in the market, and if he uses this speed breaker session as a time to allocate funds into, uh, into, uh, you know, uh, into the market. Obviously, you have your product, which is our first thing, but. what are the top 3 sectors that you are looking and what is this time it is different what is that this different this time so uh, what's different i think are two or three things when i kind of look at um, you know broadly the investment landscape and the market opportunity there are two things which come to me as very strikingly different which i would say was missing um in the last 10 to 15 years uh first thing which i think is very different from the from the from the past is essentially the power and the strength of the domestic liquidity uh i have in my entire career never seen the kind of resilience uh of domestic liquidity and domestic investors uh if we just look at the kind of selling that we have seen um since september october last year to now in a span of about 8 to 9 months uh, we've seen some record selling by fpis by fiis uh, in the past you know this kind of selling which of course has never happened if they were to have happened maybe we could have easily been down 30 40 50% uh, just at the sensex or the nifty level uh, but what has made a huge amount of difference is essentially the power of the domestic investor and the kind of way the domestic investors have participated and shown the faith and the trust in india's long term growth opportunity i think is is unparalleled unprecedented and i think is very very different from what we have seen in the past so that's one the second big difference which i see uh, versus what we have seen over the last 10 or 15 years is by and large our markets have either been uh, they've been polarized in the sense that 
we have only seen larger amount of opportunities more on the consumer and to some extent on the technology and third is basically on the private banks these three have been the big pockets in the past conventionally now versus that what i see different this time now is it is not just those three pockets of consumer technology services and uh, private banks but we see huge amount of opportunities unfolding on a the manufacturing side number 1 number 2 is in terms of the uh, capex cycle which means that the capex cycle has has in a way begun to unroll and therefore there there are a lot of businesses which have not done well over the last 10 12 years but suddenly are waking up to phenomenal prospects uh, ahead the third is also apart from manufacturing and capex is also to do with uh, basically areas like defense uh, again uh, these were opportunities which were not there earlier and on top of all of this is essentially what is very different is innovation led businesses and when we think of innovation only digital or pharma comes to our mind but what about the innovation which is happening on renewables on electric vehicles that's the kind of innovation which is really happening out there which i would call it more like decarbonization so i we've earlier been always been thinking of demographics i think now we have decarbonization which is also becoming a very different and a new theme so in terms of investment landscape from just earlier two to three pockets i think we now have about at least 10 to 8 to 10 different pockets which are becoming very very interesting investment opportunities and therefore what is making it very different this time is the broad based set of opportunities versus in the past the set of opportunities being very limited and very narrow so that's the way i think in terms of a liquidity and two sectors to pick and choose from are essentially uh, the big differences this time around versus what we have seen in the past that's uh, that's really insightful uh, uh, nilesh i think uh, the gradual uh, shift from being a core focus to a new focus is is really uh, really very interesting and i think that is going to provide a huge investment opportunity both from the supplier side as well as from the investor side uh, so nilesh uh, you know uh, coming back to our format so uh, you know uh, you know already we have started getting questions on what are the products that you offer what are your strategies what is your investment philosophy that you run and uh, you know if you can throw a light about uh, you know uh, what has been your pillar of research which uh, you know which you think that you know we which offers uh, you know unique selling propositions to our investors so if you want to take your presentations through uh, you know because we are getting a lot of inquiries on the products on the you know on the theme and the philosophy that you run yeah so i I don't know if Chetal is there on this call, whether he can upload the presentation or not. But till he can do that, maybe what I will just do is I will just, uh, in a way, briefly, um, you know, present um, our, our set of products. Um, so, friends, we are we are essentially a portfolio management services firm. So, we essentially what we do is is provide uh, PMS under which we have two products. Uh, one is a product which we call as the India Value Portfolio. uh india value portfolio essentially is predominantly a mid and small cap kind of a of a of a portfolio offering uh where we pick high quality 25 to 30 uh mid to small cap companies uh which we believe are essentially uh you know uh are fantastic businesses from a long term perspective uh the second essentially is what i what we call is as the india opportunities portfolio which is more like a multi cap flexi cap uh which is a combination of large caps mid caps as well as uh, as well as small caps um and where we of course have companies which are you know the biggest of biggest of all and of course some very very small companies but which have tremendous uh, potential uh as a as a firm as a team we have always believed in essentially investing for the long term uh the core of our investment philosophy is essentially is that when we buy stocks we are not buying stocks but we are buying stocks as basically a, a piecemeal ownership of a business which we would otherwise have wanted to uh, own and operate and run as a business so that's essentially what our philosophy is that in the first place uh the the stock has to be represented by a very strong underlying business 
Um, so that's essentially our, our, our first uh, cornerstone of our philosophy. Um, the second essentially is that we like businesses which essentially can generate the cash flows, can grow, generate cash flows which are strong enough to reinvest back into the business. And therefore, in the process, we try and avoid debt-oriented businesses. And we have a particular way of looking at either businesses which we think can grow at a significantly higher pace or where we think that there's a very strong delta which is likely to emerge over the next few years, which probably is not getting too noticed by you know a, a lot of the other investors. Um, so the whole idea is that over the next three to five years, can these businesses kind of sustain a high growth rate, uh, deliver a strong capital efficiency, and in the process, uh, bring about a significant change in the market capitalization of these uh, of these companies? Um, so on one hand, we have a pure mid and small cap product, um, and on the other hand, we have essentially a large cap, mid cap, and a small cap combination called India Opportunities uh, Portfolio. We have been able to deliver. Uh, strong alpha. So our India value portfolio is now more than 10 years old, where we have delivered an outperformance of roughly about close to 200 basis points annually over the period of 10 years. So that's a strong kind of a, uh, alpha generation that, that we have. Uh, we, we have essentially thrived uh, or kind of in a way we've, we've enjoyed going out there and identifying a lot of stocks uh, out there. Um, so over the last several years, I must say that we have been some of the early birds in stocks, especially in areas like technology, like Tata LXC, Persistent, LNT Technology Services, Birla Soft. These are some of the stocks which I think we have been very early on. We have been relatively early on in a lot of digital plays, uh, companies like Angel One, Ease My Trip, of course, which we have now exited, uh, Matrimony. These are some of the, the, the digital plays. And on top of that, we also have been very strong in areas like industrials and manufacturing. So companies like Triveni Turbines, Carborandum Universal, which we have entered and exited um, at, at very attractive kind of uh, appreciation. Uh, in addition to that, I talked about decarbonization. Um, so so come stocks like Hitachi Energy, for example, has been our favorite where we, I think, have we kind of invested in it very early on and it's been it's gone up several multiple times of from where we have uh, invested in it uh, in terms of some of our large cap favorites they have been stocks like reliance industries Tata motors mahindra mahindra these have been icsia bank these have been some of our large cap favorites um, out there uh, in terms of where the portfolio is positioned i think today some of our most front leading um, um, positions are around the manufacturing space, around the CAPEX space. As I was mentioning, that we're extremely uh, positive. So that's a very, very interesting area in terms of industrials. Or some of the very, very contrarian consumer plays where we believe that these stocks are trading probably at 50 cents to a dollar. They're trading at probably 50% discount to where they should be trading at. Um, so there's a very strong value orientation in essentially, though we are growth-oriented investors, but we're very mindful of the prices that we pay for these businesses. So we, I would probably say that we are more about growth at very reasonable prices. So this is in a nutshell, which is essentially about our investment philosophy, our investment tenets, our investment strategy, and the two products that we have um, as a PMS platform. Brilliant. In fact, uh, while again, uh, you know, while we were, uh, you know, discussing the presentation, one of my client uh, raised a questions on the basis of your convictions on the new age technologies he writes the new sectors have any numbers to get confidence or is just promises and dreams well it's 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 it i mean every investment to begin with has to be an investment first about the promises it has to be about dreams it has to be about the potential but along with that it also has to be about delivery um, and therefore, you should look at any new age business as a business which essentially either already delivers growth, profitability and cash flows, or at least has a path to profitability um, sooner rather than later. Uh, and I must say that I think uh, we have been able to you know, ride the, the new age opportunity very well. And I'll tell you how our strategy has transitioned. We first began by identifying 
companies which are essentially working with new age companies to deliver and help them build a new age business and we that's how we actually zeroed down initially on companies like persistent or tata alexi or lnt technology services where we said that these are the kind of technology services companies which are helping new age businesses to come into business and grow their business um, so that's how we initially played it then we said it's now time to kind of look at new age businesses and so we said what are the profitable cash flow generator businesses and that's how we essentially ended up investing in businesses like angel one when it went ipo in 2021 post its listing uh, then into is my trip uh, matrimony and that's how we essentially did it we have now probably come to a stage where we saying is that fine i mean you know uh, a new age business today may have an accounting loss but if the business has medium to long term potential and the specific company is already a market leader and essentially can easily turn profitable by reducing its spend then obviously that's a worthwhile investment and that's where we recently took an exposure on pb fintech not of course at the ipo price or the post listing hype we have taken it at a discount uh, to the ipo price obviously today may not be the best day to discuss that uh, because the stock was down but having said that uh, we still think that we cannot discard a new age business we have to be positive we have to be constructive about it and this market volatility is giving an opportunity to buy some of these new age businesses at discounted prices and therefore this is not the time to shun them this is not the time to ignore them this is the time to essentially take notice of them do a homework and see that at what kind of a price does it make sense and at what kind of a price will this end up giving us solid investment returns over a 3 to 5 year horizon so that's that's essentially what i take on the new age businesses so to cut a long story short new age businesses are not just about potential and dreams new age businesses are also about reality they new age businesses are also about strong leadership and new age businesses are also about profits hopefully in the near term rather than in the distant future brilliant uh, in fact uh, nilesh uh, again uh, you know uh, there is a very interesting question which has come out here in one of the investors you know he writes that the old business model you know whenever you used to take consider about old business model 10 to 12 years was a period of holdings now with the business dynamics changing very fast what is an ideal time of holdings for new businesses like paytm zomato nika and obviously pb infotech that you know you have already in your portfolio so typically for an investors who has been into this business what is the typical horizon time you know what is their uh, typically uh, that is what they wanted to so as the business changes fast and they need to equip themselves yes. with their uh, holdings well uh, you know the way we look at when we look at businesses we kind of look at uh, a business at least from a 3 to 5 year horizon um, whether it's an old age business or a new age business i don't think the time horizon changes quite differently uh, you'd be surprised actually to know that uh in fact for a new age business uh it's not necessarily that the new age business is more competitive in fact the old age business or or the other businesses are probably as competitive i mean if i were to look at banks it's not that there are just one or two banks there are dozens of banks out there uh if you look at cement companies there are not just one or two cement companies there are dozens of cement companies out there okay so to that extent i think uh, i think uh, you know i would probably say that Three to five years is a good time frame to look at any business. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that we have, we should be taking our eye off the ball. I completely agree that uh, you know uh, that there are several risks which businesses confront on a daily basis, and you have to essentially, as an investor, be very aligned, and you have to essentially be very proactive to these kind of things. When we look at you know what changes in a business i probably think that there are three external sources of risk first essentially and these are external risks which can in a way change the economics of an individual business one essentially is competition itself which is right that yes there could be lots and lots of competition number one 
Number two is disruption itself. That today's business model is relevant today, but may not be relevant tomorrow. So we have to. So value migration is something which is a constant. Uh, that's the only change which is constant, and therefore one has to be fully cognizant of the risk of value migration and therefore disruption. Uh, we've seen this essentially from newspapers to TV and from TV to OTT apps. We have seen several offline models getting disrupted and and business shifting online. We have seen in the earlier years how landline telephones have moved essentially to mobile and from mobile to smartphones and all of that. So these are the kind of disruptions which keep happening. The third is regulatory risk. That if tomorrow, if there were to be a government policy which changes, how does it impact the business? And this again is not about the new age business alone. I mean, we saw this last week or 10 days back, how the how uh, uh, duty was imposed on exports of iron ore and steel. And that has essentially again altered the outlook for for essentially the entire steel sector we've, we've seen that right and that's like an old age business but it did get impacted so i think that three to five years is a good horizon to evaluate any business but we have to be mindful of external risks coming in from competition disruption and regulation these are the three sources of risk which we have to always and always uh, be be uh, mindful of. In fact, uh, very interesting to note that for our investors, you know, what Nilesh rightly said is very relevant. You know, the basic questions that comes to any business today, are you going to be relevant tomorrow? And that is the basis of value migration. And, uh, you know, and so, and that has to be the basis for our corporate excellence, that what makes us sustainable for the future? Am I business going to be future ready? And that is one of the point. Uh, Nilesh, uh, one of a very important question that has come. In fact, we keeps on, you know, asking client questions because at the end of the day, you know, it's client first. So and since uh, they hear and see you so often, so they have got a lot of questions. It's like, you know, it's like a parent teachers meeting. They want to know about. So one of our clients, right, Sensex appreciation of 7.6% CAGR of last 15 years does not show any optimism as this is inflation in this two. your views. Uh, I really don't. I I think it's an incomplete question, but I think the yeah. client wants to understand. Uh, you know, uh, Sensex has been delivering around 7.6 percent CAGR for the last 15 years. You know, uh, which is not an, a very optimistic figure. So, uh, what is your views going forward? Like, how do you think that the Sensex or the market index is going to uh, deliver uh, in terms of the market earnings? You know, not for as a company, but as a market as a uh, entity. Yes. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm not too sure about that number of 7.6 percent, but we have exactly even we don't have it. But that even if, yes, I don't have a ready reference in terms of what that number is. But uh, maybe you know why it is 7.6 percent. Also, is because we are comparing one peak. So if I were to kind of this is 2022, and if I were to kind of uh, go back 15 years, that would essentially be 2007 and 2007 was essentially the 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 peak of, of that bull market which was there and kept keep in mind that that was one of the most ferocious bull markets the bull market from 2001 the lows of 2001 to essentially the highs of 2007 2008 that was essentially incredible that was an incredible period for indian equities so the base itself i think is 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 a very very elevated kind of a base and if Essentially, if if, if uh, the Sensex has given 7.6%, and I think if if you were to take that base, then you would probably have to add back one one and a half percent of uh, of dividend yield. So that would give you roughly about nine percent. Now keep in mind that's like nine percent, and on top of that, if somebody actively manages a portfolio or a fund and can deliver you, you know, whatever at least a hundred basis points of alpha on that. Uh, if you've managed to basically get a 10% kind of a return in that kind of a time frame where we are really talking of an elevated base, then I still think that uh, that's not a bad outcome. It may not be the best outcome, but it's honestly not a bad outcome. Uh, so that's one. Uh, the second, of course, is that obviously a bulk of these returns or probably all of these returns would be tax-free. So on a, on a pre-tax basis, that number would still be 13, 14, 15%, which again, Makes, makes the return kind of look even better. The third is that if I were to kind of look at these 15 years, uh, 
we had a huge period in between where essentially our economic growth was way below our potential uh, number one and earnings growth was also kind of significantly lower and of course a very large part of this sensex has been coming in from banks and obviously banks we know have had a terrible time in terms of asset quality challenges and and all of that uh, some part of this sensex has also been in psus and we know how some of the psus in terms of uh, you know that they have not been able to kind of create wealth for for minority shareholders and for investors in general so there have been reasons and then of course historically our index also had a very high weightage to commodities um and obviously the commodity cycle has only happened in the last one one and a half year so there are multiple reasons as to why uh the sensex may not have delivered say a double digit kind of a return and that's probably also because the earnings growth was missing for a very large part of those 15 years and that obviously was happening because of course uh, the economy obviously didn't grow up to its potential and things of that kind but that's quite changing now uh and i think the better way to look at it is what have been the returns uh from the markets over 3 years 5 years 7 years maybe 10 years um i think that's kind of a that probably will give even a better outcome versus essentially the the 15 year kind of a, of a period and i think the outlook from here on is going to be very very different um and we can keep looking at all the challenges and the concerns which are there but what are going to be the significant earnings drivers number one i think is clearly size and scale of companies the size and scale of companies is much more is is more massive than what we had 10 years back or 15 years back number one number two cost of capital i think cost of capital has come down quite significantly for companies the third of course is that we have gone through a lot of deleveraging um and just to kind of give you and why why look at deleveraging deleveraging as, uh, for companies i mean a bank like state bank of india if i'm not mistaken over the last 5 years had it has had a 2 lakh crore write off 2 lakh crore of less earnings because they had to take write offs imagine that's the kind of hit that a bank like state bank of india took in its pnl uh and therefore when we say earnings growth has not been as dramatic it's because of those kind of write offs it's because of the kind of debt which corporate india had which they had to service going forward you will see essentially uh companies being able to deliver even much more higher growth because of their current scale of business number 1 number 2 because of essentially the balance sheet strength which they now have and third driven by digitalization the ability of companies to essentially reach out to the length and breadth of india and the different markets in india and create scale in a much shorter time frame i think are going to be very very strong tailwinds which these businesses have in addition to that of course many of the reforms which have been undertaken in the last 3 to 5 years like gst and lower tax rates and all of that essentially are very very powerful tailwinds which indian businesses have apart from that some of these pli schemes for the manufacturing sector i think is going to further improve the competitiveness of india indian manufacturing and find its true place in the global markets so apart from just being an exporter of it services we 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 in the next 10 years are going to become a very large exporter of manufactured products manufactured goods and these i think are very very strong tailwinds for corporate india for corporate earnings and for our markets so i think i am honestly quite bullish quite optimistic about the next 5 years 10 years 15 years and i'm and i think that the way i see things right now the outcome over the next 15 years is going to be a lot better versus the outcome that we have seen over the last 15 years very true very true uh, nilesha very well said in fact uh, the kind of tailwind that we had as a economy as a country as a nations that we have faced and uh, and i think uh, that is a part of uh, you know any growing nation Uh, the way we have uh, you know emerged from being a child to an adult and now to more of a matured adult and i think uh, you know we will see more uh, more cleaning more uh, you know more growing process so there is a very interesting question which has come up and uh, and surprisingly this is one of the question that i always had in my mind nilesh uh, 
you know my investors right the stock market has moved from being a stock market to a market of stocks for a country do you think this is a threat and it is very clear matlab uh, today nilesh whenever i see televisions and you know we see medias and we see reports few companies have got a very large contributions to every portfolios correct so rather than a stock market it actually has become a market of few stocks so how do you perceive this for a country which is uh, you know moving fast towards uh, you know consumer spendings discretionary spends has moved quite large and fast to the capital market you know uh, you know 100 uh, you know 100 companies uh, you know uh, you know uh, you know the entire country is getting feeded on only 100 stocks uh, how you uh, as a yeah no that's a very very interesting observation and a very interesting question that's a great question uh this is unfortunately a paradox that probably all big markets face globally uh this is not just about india uh if i were to kind of look at markets like the united states japan um south korea taiwan china uh it's pretty much the same story everywhere and um you know as they say survival of the fittest and and may the strongest essentially eventually win or the most deserving eventually win and keep in mind that if we look at if we look at any kind of a contest uh, so to say or even if i were to kind of look at just a classroom of students it's quite obvious that if there are 50 students in a classroom it's going to be the top 5 students or the top 10 students who are going to shine um you know it it it, it always is going to be the case uh, if i were to kind of look at the analogy analogy versus say sports and we probably in india have we have how hundreds and thousands and lakhs of people playing cricket but it's only you know it, it, the final team is only about 10 or 12 people with another extras and so to say but it's eventually a team of 15 20 players um and this is true for any trade any profession any business and therefore is no different for even a stock market that it will always be a few set of companies which will come and in a way uh, have a very outsized weight and a outsized presence but you know what the sure sign of any progress any development is that is that is there any churn or is there any change in that and if you look at the leadership in india every 10 years every decade it's always a new set of leaders who come in and who essentially find their place in those top 10 top 20 top 50 companies i mean if you look at it the whole composition of nifty sensex all of that is not necessarily the same and uh, you know i think one more thing is that the whole variety and the diversity i think is unparalleled and and if you look at the kind of companies which have got added to our investable universe in the last 2 3 years i think is quite a large number right from specialty chemical companies to consumer companies to digital companies to it services companies we have seen ipos from so many different sectors and keep in mind companies which go ipo today are going to become the leaders uh maybe a decade later or 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 maybe hopefully even earlier so honestly i would not necessarily look at just that the market gets dominated by just a very few players i think we have one of the largest universe of listed companies here i think it's rare to see other exchanges where there are 3344555000 companies listed there's a very vibrant ipo market new listings are the order of the day and there are a variety of sectors and businesses to to really pick and choose from um so i think it's no what we see in india in terms of concentration is no different from rest of the world uh but the good part at least in india is that we have many sectors many businesses lot of ipos new listings etc which i think are creating huge amount of opportunities for us as investors in the medium to long term Brilliant. In fact, uh, very nicely articulated. Uh, for the for the investors, you know, a lot of investors are asking uh, questions. Which uh, so uh, just for this is for the investors' communication. So we don't encourage individual stock ideas because we have always believed that uh, you need expert advice to manage your money. And uh, you know, it is like uh, you know uh, you know two three stocks names from 
uh, Mr. Nilesh would not make any difference to your life uh, because you need to, you know, it's like a baby who is born just to. So we don't encourage asking this question. So if you've got any questions, uh, please raise your questions based on the portfolios. Uh, Nilesh, uh, uh, some of my clients, it's a very common question. Three or four clients have asked uh, something about Envisions Capital uh, because, uh, you know, uh, uh, who are there other than Envisions Capital? How large is the research team? Where do you operate out of? What is your total PMS type strength? Uh, you know, something about Envision Capital. Yeah, sure. Uh, so just to kind of give you my uh, my background, I mean, I founded Envision Capital um, in 2010. Um, so we have, we have finished more than a decade of our uh, existence. Uh, prior to setting up Envision Capital, I used to be at uh, Kotak Mahindra Asset Management Company. Uh, where I was the president of Kotak Asset Management. Uh, before that, I was the executive director at Kotak Securities. At that point of time, Kotak Securities was a, was a joint venture with Goldman Sachs. And prior to joining the Kotak Group, I had a short stint with the HDFC Group. I have now completed uh, almost 30 years of my professional career. And I have been very fortunate that uh, of these 30 years, I've been at two of India's finest financial institution, which is HDFC and Kotak. And then, of course, uh, more than the last 10 years at, at Envision Capital. Uh, Envision Capital essentially started off as being a, a, a semi-registered uh, portfolio manager, which is essentially a PMS. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we also now um, in the Envision Group, we have essentially also got an FPI license, which is licensed as a foreign portfolio investor. Uh, and so between our, our, our PMS and our assets under advisory combined, uh, and of course, our uh, our principal funds all put together is roughly close to about 400 crores uh, of assets out there, um, which is out there. Uh, our focus essentially has been on slightly more the ultra HNI and the institutional capital. Uh, but of course, obviously, we are now beginning to essentially, uh, you know, grow our PMS business as well. Uh, and of course, uh, down the line, we have aspirations to launch our AIF as well. So the idea is for Envision Capital, the vision is to essentially be at the forefront of asset management in India. Um, Envision Capital as a firm and I individually are very, very optimistic about India's long-term growth prospects. And we think uh, that we have a very differentiated investment philosophy, which can help us make a difference to investors over the medium to long term. And therefore, uh, we are also excited about the growth opportunities for Envision Capital across our uh, PMS, our potential AIF, as well as essentially our um, foreign investors also. So that's essentially a brief background about Envision Capital. As a team, we are a, we are a six-member team, uh, in fact, uh, of which uh, five members are on the research uh, side including myself. So it's me plus four research analysts. Uh, we do a lot of proprietary research. We essentially do fundamental research on our own, where we spend a lot of time doing fundamental research and, of course, uh, interacting with management and, of course, uh, going out and, and speaking to customers, channel partners, vendors of these companies to validate their business and their prospects. Um, and based on our proprietary research, the research team makes an investment call. So we think it's a very, very hard process driven approach that we have to uh, invest in. In addition to the five member research team, we have uh, a couple of my colleagues who take care of the back office operations and business development. Um, so very, we, we are very excited about our journey so far and are even more excited about the growth prospects for Envision Capital and the kind of difference that we can make uh, to our investors in an economy which is just about to surge and grow and become hugely become uh, bigger. So the way India becomes a very large economy from growing from $3 trillion to 5 to $10 trillion, we see a similar growth prospects for our business from where we stand today and where we think we can be over the next 5 to 10 years. Uh, that was wonderful. And for the, uh, for the investors, uh, you know, uh, at AIF PMS Experts India, we follow a very, uh, very rigorous uh, research on selecting the right portfolio managers for our investors. And we have a very uh, stringent rule, very filters where we 
uh, given our in, you know experience in our industry so uh, when we uh, introduce a portfolio manager to our set of investors uh, you know we do a lot of back end research and let me show you from the entire company that you know uh, we are very positive and we are very uh, you know uh, enthusiastic and we are very excited to have nilesh on board uh, nilesh uh, on the asset allocations since you have two products uh, one uh, one clients uh, you know first question is do you allow split of capital of 50 lakhs number one number two if currently if you are uh, asked to advise what is the allocations between large cap and small and mid cap uh, so i think what you want question, to understand uh, 50 lakhs uh, i'm sorry come please go ahead yeah sorry the first question was what around that do we take capital below 50 lakhs was that the question Yeah. So, do you allow that? No, we we uh, from a regulations perspective, uh, we cannot essentially initiate any kind of business relationship uh, less than fifty lakhs. So, every investor's account um, starts off only when essentially with a minimum corpus of fifty lakhs. Uh, but strategy or you can have two strategy i can i can split between 50 lakhs between 25 25 in the uh no i think uh, one account has to be 50 lakhs that's very clear so okay. it's not just about one um, you know client with whatever with split between that one investment approach uh, has to have a minimum corpus of 50 lakh rupees that's essentially the regulation and that's how we essentially comply with uh, so that's one uh, the second thing is around, uh, you know, uh, the allocation between large cap and mid cap, small cap. Uh, my view is that, uh, you know, especially with the kind of environment that we are in and, and the kind of growth process, I think, I think that right now, and of course, uh, I'm assuming this question is more from a slightly medium to long term perspective. So I think that I would I would favor an allocation which is about 30 to 40 percent in large caps and the balance 60 to 70% in mid to small caps. And why I say this essentially is because I think when an economy is growing and when the economy is more vibrant, uh, there's a very strong opportunity for mid-sized and small-sized companies to grow and grow at a much faster pace. Um, and I think when a small cap company becomes a mid cap and a mid cap company becomes a large cap, um, I think the kind of re-rating which a company like this can go through can be quite phenomenal. Um, and so to that extent, uh, that's why I would say that. And, and of course, there has been a correction in mid cap and small caps. A lot of the companies that I see out there have essentially now are trading at very, very attractive valuations in the mid and small cap space. So I think at this stage, I would probably say that 30 to 40 percent in large caps and the balance 60 to 70 percent in mid to small caps. So, uh, Nilesh, in fact, we are almost at the end of our discussion. So, last questions. Uh, you know, I'm not a you know industry. Uh, you know, I'm not an analyst. So, this gentleman writes: As India looks to reduce its energy imports by encouraging investments in renewables, are you looking to play this theme? If yes, on which theme? Ethanol, green hydrogen, solar, EVs? Question mark. Yeah, so that's a that's a great question, very pertinent question, very relevant question, both from a from an India standpoint as well as individual businesses. Um, and I and I'm a very very big believer of this. I mean, um, you know, this entire question revolves around what I earlier mentioned about decarbonization. That how do essentially, um, you know, decarbonize our economy? How do we become more carbon neutral? And the beauty about this is that this is not just environment friendly, but it's economy friendly because you don't need to then make imports in such large manner, which of course is positive from our trade deficit, our currency, our inflation standpoint. So what's good here for the environment is also going to be very good for the economy. And therefore, I'm a very, very big believer of decarbonization and this whole concept of electric vehicles and of course, alternative sources of energy. In context of the alternative sources of energy, uh, I think we like across the board, but at this stage, I would be less positive about the ethanol-related opportunity. I would be more positive about the other forms of energy, um, be it in terms of uh, solar, be it in terms of hydro, be it in terms of uh, wind, or be it in terms of 
hydrogen. Um, and I think when I kind of mentioned about one of our investments, which was Hitachi Energy, of course, which of course has done well, and we have recently reduced our exposure on that. But I think businesses like that are really a fantastic play on on uh, renewable energy. So we are very excited about the renewable energy side, and within that, less on ethanol and more on rest of the bank. That's really wonderful. Uh, so to all our viewers, uh, you know, uh, you can always keep raising your questions at experts at AIFPMS.com. And, you know, we will surely connect your questions to Nilesh. And uh, Nilesh, uh, uh, once again, you know, we are running out of time and, uh, you know, we have a time uh, time limits to that. Thank you very much uh, for your, uh, you know, such a wonderful and insightful uh, discussions. And uh, for, on behalf of, you know, AIFPMS Experts India, I assure you that, you know, uh, we will have more such sessions with our clients, uh, you know, uh, we'll move out of Zoom and we will come with some physical events where, you know, there has been some questions here. Can we have a physical interaction with you? So, yes, uh, you know, uh, so how often do you travel? So any plan to travel to Pune? So because we are largely Pune, although I'm based out of Bombay. But yeah, absolutely. Also... I mean, you know, Bombay, Pune is not much of an uh, issue in terms of traveling. So we'd be very happy to kind of... Uh... Um, travel to Pune and be physically present um, and have a have a have a much more comprehensive interaction um, you know with you and with with all our investors and, and all of that so looking forward to the opportunity to be in Pune next thank you so much thank you uh, thank you friends thank you my investors you know it was a wonderful time and we think uh, you know obviously you know with a Nilesh kind of a you know iconic character coming into our show you know you have a lot of questions and I can understand the excitement uh, but we have our limitations on time and we need to respect time. Uh, so thank you, Nilesh, once again. And thank you, all our investors, uh, you know, who met us what we are today. Uh, we have always believed that investors are God and we are the priest. So thank you once again. Thank you, everybody. We had a lovely session. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nilesh. Thank, thank you, so Roman. Thank you for having me and good luck to you. Good luck to all the investors. Happy investing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.